0: Glad you guys are here. For those of you who are joining us online today, I'm glad that you guys are joining us. Uh, that we get to gather together for an hour and worship God together through studying His Word. We're going to be in the Book of Matthew, Matthew 18. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 18, verse 21 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have one in front of you. If you're watching on your phone and it's on your phone, don't worry. The relevant things we'll be putting red right on this screen right here. But before I get there, um, last. Last weekend, most of the staff was gone for the weekend, and we were able to go away as a staff, and as you probably know, Mary Weinbender, our kids' pastor, uh, resigned at the end of, uh, retired, at the end of May, that's a very different connotation, retired at the end of May, and... um, Uh, We were able to, as a staff, be able to have a weekend to go away and be able to celebrate and laugh and cry and pray together and just have a lot of fun and celebrate her and Jack's uh, service to this church for the last 24 years. And uh, so I want to say to all of you who helped make last weekend happen here in person, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had, people you saw on stage, like Linda, who leads for us so often, and um, Joe Hoover came and and delivered a a very um, hard conversation, and very gracious, grateful for him, and Rich Bark was on stage, but for the three people that were on the stage, there was well over a dozen people that make all the rest of this happen, whether you're in the room or you're online, and I'm just so grateful um, that you guys were so generous. A lot of them gave up a lot of extra time that week to get ready for us all to be gone, Um, and uh, it just reminded us that we're pretty unimportant and consequential, and so I'm going to be on vacation more often, just in case you're curious. So, um... But also, last week, you know what happened last week, too? Last week, um, we ended our Diapers and Wipes drive. After about a month, we started Mother's Day. Our goal was to fill the trailer. We did a pretty awesome job of filling the trailer. And then on Thursday, we had a team come, and they pulled them all out of the trailer and put stickers on all of them that just say, hey, you know, we love you. Thank you for caring for our children in our community. Um, And then we put them all back into the trailer. And then we went to DHS and dropped them off um, at DHS and... uh, uh, I, we want to start today's sermon with, with actually showing you a little video uh, recap of that. So so let's watch this video right here. Hey, so we just got all of our diapers with some stickers on them. We got the whole thing loaded up and ready to go. And we're about to head over to DHS to unload a huge trailer full of diapers that you guys helped fill the trailer. Let's head over and go do it. With, that they live in a community that wants to support them, especially when they're able to have their needs met when we're working with all of our families. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much for the donation. It really helps support our families and our community. I told you guys I was gonna be here the same time next year. I'm not going anywhere, so as long as I'm here. You guys keep donating. We're gonna keep serving these families. It's gonna keep getting better and better each year. I'm still inspired. I still can't believe this when Katie says they're gonna pull with another truckload. I was expecting half of this not to be all full. Cool. The impact goes further than just buying some lights or buying some diapers. This community is just amazing. I don't think I'm ever leaving, so thank you. Continue to give back. We appreciate it. That's awesome, and uh, I just want to say thank you. I know that a lot of you um, gave very generously. The diapers just kept coming and kept coming, and thank you so much. And what you saw, when you saw that picture in the hallway, um, that was what was left over after they filled their storage room. So for the coming months, they just have diapers lined all down their hallway. Uh, Just a reminder... That there's a church and there are people here that love them, that love the people who uh, love on the children of our community, and I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this family and this community. And so thank you very much, guys. So yeah, um, awesome. So uh, Disney, didn't think we were going to start there, did you? Disney, about 30 years ago, had an incredible resurgence yeah, I mean, you know, you know, they made Mickey Mouse, and they made some early films and all that kind of stuff. But Disney was really starting to die um, in the 80s. And in the early 90s, late 80s, Disney had this massive resurgence to where, if you don't know this, Disney now owns everything. Um, it won't be long before Disney owns the land that this building sits on. You know, I mean, they, they own everything. And it started with a change in the way they told stories. Start with the way they change stories. And what they do is they tell every story through the same lens. It's called the hero's journey. It's the hero's journey, and uh, the hero's journey goes one of two ways. All the Disney kids' movies tell it one way, and then the adult movies tell it a different way. It's the it's it's key to great storytelling. The hero's journey is this. Uh, option one is that the hero, the unsuspecting hero, is placed on them an unfair or unexpected or undeserved weight or responsibility. He, here's a great movie that illustrates it perfectly, right? You know the story of Mulan? Her dad, you know, they, they require one male from each family to go serve in the army, and her dad is old and decrepit, and um, uh, uh, he's going to go. But she, as a girl who's not supposed to go, not supposed to be qualified, she goes in the place. She carries this unfair weight on behalf of her family. That's, that's what we love about kids' movies. Almost every Disney kids' movie tells the same exact story, just different characters, different dress, and in different parts of the world, right? Adult movies, we like our action heroes to be a little different. Uh, we like our action heroes like this. Do you, do, you know, do you know this one? You know what scene this is from? This is in the moment when he's saying, I will find you, right? And then I will kill you, right? Only like Liam Neeson could. There's not a lot of 60-year-old men that I'm terrified of. Liam Neeson is one of them right? But Liam Neeson has a different hero story. It's what we love, Hero's Journey, that we love about all of our adult action movies. It's the person who something is taken from them. Literally, this movie, if you don't know, is called Taken, and then Taken 2, and Taken 3, and Taken Three and a Half, and Taken 17, and Taken Revisited, and Taken Reborn, and Taken Again, right? He's got a problem. He needs to get some private security, okay? Um, it's this constant, it's, it's almost all of our adult action movies that we love with the single hero is something is robbed from them. Something's taken from, them. and then the journey we go on with them, we, we, you know, use fancy words to honor it and celebrate and go, yeah! But the journey we go on them with them is a journey of revenge. Right? It's hunting down everybody that was involved and and, and hurting them or wounding them or robbing from them, stealing back from them. This is the hero's journey. And we love it. You know why we love it? Because something about it feels so natural. Something about it is what our, our body, what our bones crave for. In this moment, when someone robs something from us, whether it's physical and like an actual object, or it's, you know, innocence, or, or time, or a relationship, or trust, what we want, and the reason we love these movies is because we get to see a really, really cheap version of justice that we call Vengeance. We get to see someone exact the same pain from someone else that they exacted from us or from the character of the story. But today, we're going to look at Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus invites us to a different kind of hero story. Jesus invites us to a different way of responding. When in those moments, because here's the reality, we all live in a broken world. We are all sinful, and when you put sinful people together, sinful things happen, and broken things happen, and we all end up wounded or hurt at some point. And in those moments, how we respond changes everything, and is changed when we're a follower of Jesus. So so here, let's look at it. Matthew 18, it says this. Matthew 18, verse 21, says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, being Jesus, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, now, before you read on, and a lot of you know Jesus' response, and so you're a little jaded by, by Jesus' response, and you go, Come on, Peter. Seven times? That's all you got? Right? A lot of times we cheapen, and we think that this is one of those moments where Peter, like, said something really stupid. Remember that part a couple chapters ago? Jesus says, you know how I'm going to be crucified? And Peter says, it'll never be. And Jesus says, you're the devil. Right? You remember that? Remember those moments? This is not one of those moments. What Peter is saying here is abundantly, incredibly, by our standards, gracious. Peter's offering forgiveness. There are some of us who don't want to forgive someone seven times in the entirety of our lifetime. And actually Luke, the way he records it, he records, and in his recording of it, he adds uh, just a couple words that change the whole context of this whole thing. He he says this, he says, up to seven times a day. (laughs) Who's, Who's patient enough to forgive someone seven times a day? I mean, that is incredibly gracious. That is incredibly kind. What Peter thinks he is doing is he is stepping way above and beyond. But you notice what Peter's heart, what Peter's question is not how many times do I have to forgive, but when do I get to stop forgiving? That's the question we want to know. When do I have to not forgive? And Jesus responds this way. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Now, depending upon how many waking hours you're up, I did the math. This is somewhere between every 10 to 15 minutes. (laughs) How long would you be friends with someone you had to forgive every 10 to 15 minutes? Not long, right? Peter thinks he's going way above and beyond. Jesus, seven times. I'll forgive him seven times in a day. And then at the eighth time, can I stop forgiving him? And Jesus says, if it takes every 10 minutes, you continue to forgive. Jesus' response, Peter's response is gracious. Peter's question is gracious. Jesus' response is otherworldly, which is exactly what Matthew wants us to see. You see, you remember, do you remember this? Matthew is a Jew Jew writing to a bunch of Jews. There you go. Okay. About half of you remember that. Um, I often get asked, you know, hey, Sean, how many years do you think we're going to be in the book of Matthew? For those of you who are counting, we're at three and a half right now. Okay. How many years are we going to be in the book of Matthew? And my answer to them now is when I ask that question and everyone in the room answers, we'll wrap it up. Until then it's from here to eternity Matthew 18 Matthew the book of Matthew okay Jesus Matthew is a Jew and he's writing to a bunch of Jews and we say we have to remember that changes everything when we read the book of Matthew because you see Matthew knows the scriptures And by the scriptures, we mean, for Matthew as a Jew, we mean the Old Testament. Matthew knows the scriptures. And so nothing passes. Matthew misses nothing. He's a great scholar of the Old Testament. Now, this phrase here, up to 77 times, this phrase, this is why it's important, this phrase occurs one other time in all of the scriptures, Old Testament or New Testament. Just think about that. In in the Greek, it's actually just three words. Literally translated, it looks like this. As far as 77. Okay? it's Just those three words. Those three words, in that order, occur only one other time in all the Scripture. Now, if you're holding a Bible with you, look at how thick that is and how thin those pages and how many words are. I mean, just think about how crazy. These three words, only once. See, Matthew sees Jesus doing something that he wants us to see too. There's one other time that this phrase is used in all the scripture. It's used in what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, which was the language of the Jews. Even by Jesus' day, a lot of Jews didn't have a good working knowledge of the Hebrew language. And their first language was the Greek language, which was why most of the New Testament's written in the Greek language. And so they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. Okay, this is what Matthew and his friends would have read, was the Septuagint. Now, in Genesis 4, verse 24, this phrase is used. It says this, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. This is the only other time in all scripture that that phrase is used. Here's what Matthew wants us to see, is that we have a choice That Jesus is contrasting a world of a hero story of revenge and something different. This feels normal to us. It just does. It does in our bones that if that if someone steals from you, that if someone robs from you, that if someone violates you, that you have the right to get payback, that you deserve it. And there feels something oddly, twistedly, darkly satisfying about exacting the same suffering on someone else as that person exacted on you. And from the very beginning, as soon as things begin to spiral very quickly. I mean, things begin to spiral in Genesis 3. Well, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. The next chapter, humanity, image bearers are marked by revenge. And Jesus is offering us a different path. You see, the kingdom of man is a kingdom of vengeance, of cheap justice. If we're going to be honest, Vengeance is cheap justice. And Jesus all along throughout the book of Matthew, he keeps saying this phrase, he keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. The kingdom of God is present. It's amongst you. It's in your midst. And Jesus's invitation to us in the midst of brokenness and pain and suffering and hurt and wounds that we experience in this broken world is to live a different way, to be a part of a different kingdom where justice doesn't look like vengeance, but justice looks like something different. Justice looks like forgiveness. There's a quote from these um, great theologians, Davies and Allison. They wrote about this passage in Matthew 18, and uh, this is what they said. Just as in those days, this is Lamech, there was no limit to hatred and vengeance. So among Christians, there is to be no limit to mercy and forgiveness. In the kingdom of man, in the kingdom, Paul writes about this way, he talks about this way, about in our flesh, that in our fleshly desire, and what we what we feel, what we want in our body is hatred and vengeance. But the invitation of Jesus is to be part of a different kingdom, to be a different kind of people that pursue mercy and forgiveness that sees no limit. But the question has to be asked. Like if we want, if we feel vengeance, if we feel, and maybe, you, know, you uh, well, I don't, would, I would venture to guess that you would never use a word as strong as vengeance. But in those moments when you want that person to hurt in the same way you hurt, Jesus gives us a choice. Jesus gives us an option. And the question we have to ask is, why would we choose Mercy and forgiveness over hatred and vengeance. Doesn't vengeance seem so much more satisfying? Doesn't doesn't this kind of justice seem so much more satisfying? Well, Jesus tells us with a story. He often does, right? That's kind of what he does. He tells stories. And he tells the story about a guy who owes uh, uh, the ruler of the land, the kingdom, uh, the the king of this kingdom, this great and mighty man. He owes him 10,000 bags of gold. (laughs) <laughs> Have you ever seen a bar of gold, let alone a bag of gold? And he owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Just, just for a moment. Just, so, um, some commentators say that the imagery of the bag of gold is supposed to be the same as a year's worth of income. Okay? So, let's just do some math. Okay? Think about how much your household makes in a year. Just think about it. Just how much your household makes in a year. And then add five zeros. This is how much this man owes to this one guy. It's unrepayable. Right? 10,000 years of income could never be repaid in a single lifetime. On top of that, uh, translators will say um, 10,000 is the largest, wor- largest number that you can make with just two Greek words. It's the largest number. And, and they would say that in writings, it, sometimes it means 10,000, right? Like sometimes, it, you know, you're counting, you're teaching your kid to count. You know, this is what we do with our kids. We're like, hey, you know, you can't go into first grade till you can count to 10,000, right? And so, you know, 9,998, 9,999, 10,000. Like that, 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 that's what this means, 10,000. But it means something actually more than that. Um, A lot of translators say that probably the best translation of this, as much as it sounds like a third grader wrote it, is um, that the guy owed him 10 zillion bags of gold. It's just intended to be an image of of an unnumberable amount, just an untrackable amount of debt this guy owes. And he falls before him and he pleads with him, pleads with him. He could never pay it back. There's no way he could pay it back. He could never pay it back. And you see, here's, here's one of the problems actually for so many of us, is that we think that the debt that we owe to God is one lifetime worth of gold. And so you know what we think? We think that if we just serve God and we do nice things and we show up to church and, we, and we're gracious and we're kind and we sing some worship songs, that we can use this life to repay God our debt and then we can earn our way into heaven. But Jesus is saying, you owe 10,000 years of it. You could never repay it. He falls before the guy, and please. And you know what the guy says? He says, Sure. 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 It's done. Don't worry about it. It's taken care of. It's it's written off. It's done. You know, I wrote it off on my taxes. I'm going to get a rebate for the losses on my business. this year, Right? It's it's just done. It's gone. Don't worry about it. And then that guy leaves and he walks outside and he sees someone who owes him money. And and Jesus is, you know, a genius because he's God. And so he does a lot of smart things. And so one of the things he does is the guy walks outside and he says he sees someone who owes him a hundred silver coins. You know what he doesn't say? He walked outside and he saw someone who owed him $7.57. A hundred silver coins is a lot of money. A silver coin is about a day's worth of wages. So think about this. When you think about your household income, think about half of what your household makes in a year. That's about what someone, if someone owed me half of our household income, you better bet that I would know where they were every waking moment of the day. I would have trackers on their car. I would know when they were sleeping and when they were awake, I'd just be like a really creepy Santa Claus, looking through their window all the time, keeping a list, knowing when they're naughty and nice, right? I would know if someone owed me half of my year's salary, I would know who they were. I think this is one of the things that Jesus wants us to know, that there are a lot of us who carry great hurt. There are a lot of us who have been hurt in really devastating ways whether on purpose or by accident by people. And we have deep wounds. Jesus does not minimize the hurt that you feel. Jesus does not minimize what someone did to you by saying, oh, well, he went outside and someone owed him a Coke. No, he owed him 10 uh, half a year's salary. That is a great debt. Jesus does not minimize our hurt. He puts it in perspective. You see, the courage to forgive, the courage to forgive does not come from an internal strength, but from a proper perspective. Jesus does not minimize the debt that someone owes you, but his invitation to you is to see in perspective of the great debt with which you've been forgiven. Yeah, they owe you a lot of money. Yeah, they hurt you really deeply. Yes, forgiving them would be costly. But could it be more costly than me giving my son? Could it be more costly than the debt I've forgiven you? Could it be more costly than the grace that I've shown you? See, an unwillingness to forgive actually exposes the shallowness with which we see God's grace for us. It's been said that you will only forgive as much as you've been forgiven. See, a lot of us, we just think, you know, God's forgiven us because, you know, one time I hit my hand with a a hammer and I said some naughty words. And and then the other day someone cut me off and I yelled at him and I said some naughty words to them. And, you know, one time I did this one thing and we think that God's forgiven us like $17.52. And so when someone hurts us, we're willing to forgive them $17.52 worth. But Jesus says, the message of the gospel is that you've been forgiven a debt you couldn't even number. The cost that I paid to cover your debt is a cost you can't even fathom. And when we understand the depth with which we've been forgiven, the grace that has been shown us, it changes everything. It does not minimize the hurt, but it gives us the courage and the strength to do the same. You know, it's been said, forgiven people, forgive people. When we understand the depths with which we have been forgiven, it empowers us. It gives us the strength. It gives us the courage to show the same kind of grace and forgiveness to others. Now, now, because the world we live in, a world marked with brokenness, we can't have a conversation about um, forgiveness without acknowledging that there are, that, that um, abuse exists. And, and here's what I want you to know about forgiveness and abuse it, is this, is debt reconciliation, this is the imagery that Jesus is talking about, is that you owe a debt, you owe 10,000, um, you tell, 10 zillion bags of gold, you owe this great debt, and they owe you half a year's wages okay? Jesus is talking about the debt that's been taken from us in financial terms. So debt reconciliation is not the same as relational reconciliation. Debt reconciliation is not the same as relational reconciliation. Let me show it to you this way. Tyler, can you come up here? You want to bring a pen with you? I'm going to need you to sign your life away. Um, During first service, I asked Jared to come up here. And everyone's like, oh. And I'm like, what? Last time Jared got to come up on stage, he got to slap me four times. And one time I told him, that wasn't hard enough. For this illustration to work, you need to really put your elbow into it, right? I'm like, a lot of you would have wished to slap me. Did you, did you, did you know that Tyler's going to be a dad? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woo-woo! Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Tyler. Um, you're going to be a dad. It's going to be expensive. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, uh, all those of you who just bought diapers and wipes, who haven't bought diapers and wipes in a long time, you're like, oh, these are really expensive. You know? Maybe you went to the store and you're like, I'm going to buy a ton of diapers. And then you went there and you're like, ah, one box is good, right? So, Tyler, I'm going to need you. I need you for this illustration to work. I need you to ask me to borrow some money. Can I borrow some money? Yeah, sure. Here. I got five bucks. Okay, oh, oh what, well, you know, it'll... Uh, it'll get you some ice cream to cry into, well, okay? Kid. Yeah, 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 I understand that. But here, before you get the, the money, I, I need you to sign this IOU. You want to turn around? Okay. I owe you 5 dollars. Okay, there you go. Now, now can you sign that? All right. see how formal this is? <laughs> this is on camera, so this is legally binding in case you're curious. That's okay, I won't put my real signature. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, so here you go. Okay, there you go. Cool. Okay. Do I get to keep the pen too? Yeah, yeah, you can have the pen too. Okay, you can leave. There you go. Thank you. That's it. Good job, Tyler. I mostly just wanted to bring you up here to tell everyone that you're having a kid, so that was, you know. No, here, here's the deal, okay? When someone takes from us, which is the language Jesus is using, debt. When someone owes us, when someone takes something that wasn't theirs to take, and they take it from us, what they are doing is they're incurring a debt against us. They owe us something. Now, Tyler, you guys all saw this. He swore an oath, raised his right hand, said, you know, before God and before these people, right? He didn't actually, but he, he signed it. He owes me five bucks, okay? Now, here's the problem, is that if Tyler never pays me back, I have two choices, I can continue to carry this around which is what a lot of us has done. There's been a hurt maybe in the last week, maybe in the last year, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, maybe when you were growing up, maybe decades ago. And someone stole something from you and you have an IOU that they stole that thing from you, they stole time, they stole innocence, they stole trust, they stole a relationship, they stole something physical from you and you have this IOU. And what a lot of us don't realize is that as long as we carry around this IOU, it's like we're in a badge that we just stick on our chest. And we go up to people, we go, we go, hey, uh, man, rain in June. Did you know that there are people that are excited? It's raining. Those people are not. And uh, did you know that Tyler owes me five bucks? Man, this week at work, man, it was a great. Did you know Tyler owes me five bucks? man. Man, you guys have been watching the playoffs. Every single team I've been rooting for has been losing. So don't let me root for your team because I'm bad. Did you know that Tyler owes me five bucks? As long as we carry around this, it actually becomes bondage and chains that define us. The longer we hold this against our chest, the longer we hold this, the more it becomes imprinted in who we are. Scripturally, this is what the Bible talks about, is that unforgiveness becomes bitterness. It's a kind of anger and subtle and passive-aggressive hatred that seeps into our bones and begins to define who we are. And as long as, do you think that Tyler's bothered if I walk around with this piece of paper? Tyler owes me five bucks. Tyler owes me five bucks. Tyler's out nothing. Tyler's debt against me has become a bondage for me. And see, Jesus, we used to have written in our lobby, it said that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Jesus' invitation to us is to a life of freedom, But so many of us are twisted up in bondage, holding on to a debt that someone owes us, hoping that one day maybe we can exact the pain and the punishment out and we can repay the debt that they owe against us and somehow make us whole. But this thing that we've been holding to our chest is slowly tattooing itself to our soul. But Jesus, Jesus offers another way. Jesus offers a way where we have a perspective of seeing the gospel. You, you know what it says in Romans? Romans 6:23, it says this: that the wages of sin is death. The debt that you've incurred, the debt that I've incurred, is death. but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gracious gift. You see, it's not just me that's owed a debt, but God's owed a debt. God, God, I owe God, and the good news and the grace of God is that God has taken that. He's torn it up, and his call to us, if we want to be his disciples if we want to be sons and daughters, if we want to find the fullness of life and freedom, it does not come in vengeance. It comes in forgiveness. It does not come in bitterness, hatred, or holding on to IOUs. It comes in forgiveness. And you have a choice today. You have a choice today. You have a choice to pursue the path of Lamech, The kingdom of man, kingdom of cheap vengeance, cheap justice. Or the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of freedom for you, freedom for your soul, a kingdom of forgiveness. So don't go and do likewise. Just as you've been forgiven much, forgive much. So today I want to end with a little bit of a, challenging application, if we're going to be honest. I think for every single one of us, that for every single one of us, there's one of two prayers that we need to pray today. Maybe you need to pray both of them, but I bet every single one of us needs to pray at least one of them. The first one is this, is maybe the prayer you need to pray is just like the guy who goes to the man who, who he owes 10 zillion bags of gold, and you need to say, God, forgive me. God, I could never pay. I could never earn your love, your grace, your kindness. Lord, forgive me. There are some of you in this room that need to pray that prayer in a little bit. We're going to pray that prayer together. There are some of you, maybe most of us, maybe all of us today in the room or online that need to pray this prayer. God, give me the courage to forgive them. I don't know which prayer it is for you. But every single one of us has a prayer that we need to pray. So today, I want to invite you to freedom. To freedom, to forgiveness, to life, to rejoicing, to not being bound by the chains of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. But to find freedom and hope and a future in the beautiful, life-giving grace of Jesus. So whatever prayer you need to pray, Will you pray with me?